Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's good to see everybody today. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I, I just came up with that. Uh, but it's really good to see all of you today. I hope you're excited no matter what your Christmas plans are. How many of you are leaving town? You're leaving town for Christmas. Okay, okay. Hope you have safe travels for that. Uh, we'll be having services at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 6 o'clock. Uh, it's a great time to invite your family and friends. It only lasts an hour. We promise it will only last an hour. It will not go longer than an hour. So it's a great thing to just put in your schedule. We will not have church on that Sunday. And I know people who are like really super religious is like, wait a minute, you're canceling church on a holy day of obligation? It's Christmas Day, we're not having it? Yes, we are. And, and we're, um, but we're gonna do church really good on Christmas Eve, so we invite you to come. Bring, bring, a, bring a friend, bring somebody, bring a doubter, you know, somebody who really doubts the whole thing. We guarantee you it'll be an environment where they will have been presented Christ in a non-threatening way and experience the joy of Christmas. So we've been talking about something better and that uh, there's gotta be something better, better about Jesus in your life than not having Jesus in your life. You know, it's, it's, it's gotta be better than a job upgrade. It's gotta be better than swapping out spouses and getting a new one. It's got to be better than a new car. It's got to be better than so many things in life. I mean, if we're, we're boasting this is good news, as the scripture says, there's got to be something substantial to the core of you as a human being that is something better about Jesus, something better about God. And we've been, we've been talking about that something better over the last couple of weeks. Um, there, are, there are a lot of words in Christmas time. And a lot of us, we just take those words, but we don't really even know what they mean, but we kind of have an old, a different lexicon for Christmas. Like, for instance, we'll sing songs, and you just did, where hark is in the, in the song. And I don't know how often you guys work hark into a conversation. Can you imagine that in the morning? It's like, honey, hark, is that you, darling? It's, you're coming down today, you know? It's like, it's not a word that most of us use. Um, Gloria in excelsis Deo. We will sing it in a song, and I don't know if you're like me, but I learned to speak and to read on Hooked on Phonics, and I'm not being funny, I really did. And so I have sung Christmas songs all the time, and even church songs, and not knowing what the real word was, but just kind of like the um, syllables that went together, but I never really understood what that phrase meant, but it means glory to God on high. And then there's the word Noel. Noel. I mean, we use this word all the time. You probably have something in your house that says Noel. But so I, I wanted to figure out what am I saying here, you know? So I looked up the word Noel and we're not in agreement on what the word means. It's really interesting. And, and some of you are maybe named your child Noel and you, you, say it's one thing or, um, but depending on the origin, there's a couple different root meanings that uh, Noel can mean in French, it can mean news. Uh, in the English root word, it comes from a different root word, which means the sound of joy. And then if you go back to the Latin, and it's possibly this root word, it means birth which has nothing to do with the other two, unless you put them all together that Noel would mean the joy, the news, 
of the birth of Christ. So it has this kind of multidimensional meaning. But again, it is one of those words that we just use and we really just kind of pass over and we use it just for the season. So I was looking for a something better word for me this season that comes to us from the story. And again, you know I'm serious about my faith because I mean, I, I hold on to it dearly. And so it's like, what is the word? And the word that popped into my head that I really have kind of held on to is the word rejoice. Um, it's, again, it's a word that's built into a lot of songs. We talk about rejoicing about the birth of Christ. And so I was wondering why, why this word is so important to me. And, and then I realized it functions a little bit differently than song lyrics in my personal life. Let me read to you where it is in context of the Christmas story. And the Magi went their way, and lo, that's another word we use at Christmas time, lo, um, hearken lo. I'm, I ask you tomorrow, try to do that with your spouse. Just use hearken lo whenever you possibly can. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, you would have thought that just the phrase rejoice would have been enough, but apparently it had to be paired with exceedingly great joy. So it, it needed some sort of description. So it, when I saw that, I was kind of like, okay, well, that's interesting that a word that means to have exceeding great joy needed to be described that they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Um, one of those things that I get uh, fixated on. And then they came into the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I tell you, to, to part with these rich gifts means that you must have found something better. You're willing to part with other stuff when you find better stuff. And so that's one of the things when you find something better, you're, you're willing to let go of something that is of less value. So I'll, if this is a simply but yet complex description of what was going on. Yeah, they got excited, but there's more going on with this word rejoice. Rejoice is more than a feeling because that's what most of us are thinking right now. It's like, it's a particular feeling that you, you have. Let's look at it this way. Um, when you have something you don't want to lose, we use a word called tether. You tether it. If you have a dog, you don't want to run away or to bite the neighbor, you put the dog on a leash or on a tether. Uh, if you have a ball, I mean, we have a game called tether ball. I don't know who plays that anymore. But, you know, we have this game where you put a ball and attach it to a rope or a string. When you hit it, you, you don't lose the ball. Um, you may uh, tether something physically. You may also tether something uh, with a look. You may be a parent that has control of your child, and that's pretty cool, that you have the ability that when your child's beginning to misbehave, that you're able to give them a look. And when you give them that look, they are automatically tugged or they have a tether on them because you have this relational thing that's going on. Um, it can be something electric that tethers an object. The thing that I was thinking about with the word rejoice was 
and this concept of tether was my drone. I love drones. They are a blast. If you don't have one, you can get them at all kinds of levels, one that will get you through Christmas, or you can go all the way up to getting 4K, 8K cameras off of them, and uh, DJI makes some really good ones. And, And I love flying the drone. Matter of fact, the little video you see before coming uh, when the service is starting, Brian actually shot most of that stuff with the drone. And it's, it's really cool. If you don't have one, they're a blast to own. And, uh, you know, I know it annoys your neighbors, especially if they think you're spying on them. And guys with shotguns try to shoot them down. But if you get a fast enough one, you can avoid all that. Not that I've had that problem, but you can get around it. But the big fear about a drone, especially if you're investing... You know, you can start at a a good drone with a a 1080p camera for about $200. But if you start getting into it a little bit more and you want to get a little bit more sophisticated, be able to handle the wind, be able to go faster, be able to use VR goggles to control them with, you're looking at about $2,000. But there's a lot in between that range that are highly functional. But when you're using them, you get a little bit nervous because you spent a lot of money on this thing, whether it's 200 or 2,000. This is not, this is not just some little thing that you're, you're playing with. Um, and it's easy to lose your drone. And it's also easy to lose communication with your drone. And all of a sudden, we'll tell you on the little panel that you know, your drone has lost communication. It's like, well, why didn't you tell me your drone is just about to lose communication. That would be far more you know, informative. Let me know before I'm about to lose communication as opposed to when I lose it. But good drones have this tethering feature and it's called return to home. Um, let's say it's nighttime and you no longer can see your drone. And the drone's got these little lights, red and, light, red and green lights, just like an airplane and just like a boat and they flash on its wings. And, and, but when you get it up there and then you fly it and, and, it's, and it's away from you, you're technically not allowed to let it go out of eyesight. This is new uh, FAA rules. But if you've kind of let it go over some trees and you don't have eyesight on it and it's dark, you begin to get a little nervous about it, particularly if your remote control has just told you you have just lost communication with the drone. And, um, and then even when you have communication with the drone at night, you're now relying totally on the controller. Most of the time when it's up there, you can see what direction it's going. But now you're not really sure, is it pointing towards the ocean or is it pointing towards my house? And so, because you can't verify it with your eyes. So when you start losing that remote control contact, you don't know where this thing is. But some of the better ones have this little button called RTH, return to home. And the drone, if it loses communications, even without you pushing the button, will automatically, no matter where it is, rise to a higher elevation to make sure it's over all trees and all buildings in your area, and it will begin to backtrack, having used satellite data and remembering the path that it took, it will begin to fly home. And so there have been times when when, um, I've lost control of the drone and it's out there and Susan will say, you know, where is it? And I will like, you know, like, <laughs> it's up there. It's, uh, you've lost it, haven't you? No, no, I haven't lost it. I haven't lost it. And it's like all of a sudden, you'll all of a sudden hear this 
it's about 300, 400 feet up. I won't say if I take it higher than that because that's against FAA rules in an area where there's airplanes being flown. But it'll fly back and, and all of a sudden you'll look and you see little lights blinking and then it will just come. And within, within about four feet of its takeoff location, it will land there purely on the return to home function totally without interaction with the remote control. And I tell you, when it lands and it's there, there is this kind of like emotional feeling like, oh, this thing is so cool. And, and thank you, God, for bringing my drone back. I don't know if you keep track of drones, but I thank you for this drone coming back. And so what's that got to do with rejoicing? Rejoicing is not just the emotional feeling I have. It's not just the emotional response. It's this. It is also the tethering mechanism. It is the RTH, and it's the whole mechanism that was at work there. It was the fact that embedded in the drone was that this one idea, this one thought, return to home. When things get dark, when things get bleak, when you get lost, when you are no longer under control, to have this one thought, return to home. It's the most powerful tether that you could have inside this device. So for me, rejoice is not just the happy feeling of, because you may not be happy this season. You may not be delighted about the situation that you're living through at this particular moment. But rejoice is more than that. It's not just an emotional response. Um, it can be a truth, it can be an idea, it can be a belief. For me, rejoice, because it's a command, is telling your heart in the darkness of night to return to your home belief and thought. It's when all the things are going wrong, when things are looking bleak, you're not sure about your future, that you tell yourself, to rejoice, return to home, to this one thought, to this one belief, to this one idea. Now, as you kind of take the whole drone idea in and, and think about this idea of return to home, the big question I'm gonna ask it in, in just about 15 minutes is going to be, what is your return to home thought? What is your re return to home belief? Um, is it, Will it be there when you get there? Uh, and is it the right return to home thought? So when we listen to the story of Christmas, Matthew gives us this long genealogy. It's boring, uh, but it, it, it's in there. And I'm sure it's inspired. And I'm, and I'm sure students of uh, theology are like, I can't believe you just called it boring. But you know, for the average reader, you read this guy begat this guy, the bat begat this guy, and this guy had this son, and this guy had that son. And then you go from all the way from the story of Abraham all the way to David, and then you go to Jesus, and then vice versa in this part of scripture. And for most observers, this just sounds like, okay, I'm just gonna skip over this part. But Matthew 1.17 ends this genealogy this way. Therefore, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the time of Christ, 14 generations. 
What is that? Why do I need to know that? That is historical tethering. And it's exact. It's like 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. You see, Israel was in a place where all the grandeur and the glory of David and Solomon was gone. They're now under Roman captivity. They're living out the bleak and the dark days. Basically, they've lost their drone. They've lost contact. They've lost the controller. They're now under somebody else's control. And so Matthew communicates to them through the scriptures. He communicates to them, just because days are bleak does not mean things are happening randomly and out of control. That God has embedded a plan in humanity and it's exact and it's working out with this dronish like precision. And that gave me incredible comfort because there are times days, years of my life where I'm like, where am I going? What's the next step? Why am I wrestling with this? Why hasn't this been fixed in my life? You know, and, and just kind of wondering, it's like, is God doing anything with me? Am I lost? And to have this one idea that everything is tethered to is incredibly, it, it's like, it's like when that little drone appears and all of a sudden you see it's blinking lights and it, zzz, and it lands in front of you and you look at your wife and you say, I told you, it was never really lost. And that feeling like, whew, I didn't lose my drone. It's such a great feeling that this story is to remind us that what God is doing is tethered. All of the activity of mankind in between these 14 generations in one direction, 14 generations in another direction, 14 generations in another, all this activity. I mean, we could go through human history and talk about the activity of the Chinese. We could talk about the activity on the Americas. We could talk about the activity in Africa. We could talk about all the movement of mankind. And in the middle of all that movement, all that wind blowing, there is this precision that's driving all of it. And it all is connected to Jesus. That is astounding to me. What does that do for me? That mechanism brings this concept of joy. It's like, okay, God's in control. I may have lost control. God is in control. Jesus is not just a one-off idea or person. See, this is a real challenge to this idea of pluralism that, well, it, any religion. It's like, I don't know, that's not the way Christianity presents it. And I will tell you this, that's not the way other religions present it either. It's not that Christianity is the one that doesn't want to play with all the rest. Every one of them say that they have the return to home point. So Jesus is a big deal. God is our return to home. Jesus is the one that connects us to origin, to belonging, to purpose, to eternity by tethering us to the Father. So I want you to think about it, your own return to home. Where do, you, where do you go? Because you know where a lot of us go, return to home? A bottle. I cannot wait to get home. And you open up that bottle of wine, put the kids to bed, and just pour a glass of Merlot and just kick back. Now, I'm not saying they're 
Is there anything wrong with that? Other than if it's your return to home. If that's when you are home, where your soul feels I'm in control, then Houston, we may have a problem. But we use so many things as the return to home. Well, as long as I've got my job, as long as I've got so-and-so in my life, as long as he doesn't leave me, as long, as long as I've got my health, as long as I have, and we, we, we all have these RTHs in our lives, that, but, but the, the problem with them is that all those are moving. Home, for them, they don't stay, they don't stay put. They're constantly changing. They empty, they run out. See, happiness emanates from what is happening in the moment. It is a momentary, proximate evaluation. See, it would be equivalent, happiness is equivalent to the drone flying and everywhere it flies over, it says, oh, that's home. And then it goes, and it flies another few feet, that's home. And then it's like, it flies another direction, goes, oh, that's home. See, that's happiness. Happiness is a momentary, proximate evaluation. It's like, what am I in this moment? I'm happy right here, this must be home. She makes me happy, he makes me happy. This job made me happy. This buzz made me happy. This is now my new home. This is my RTH. But the problem is it's constantly changing. What if your wife disappoints you? It happens. I'm not saying it's happened to me. I, I'm not in public, but I'm saying it, it could happen. What if your husband disappoints you? I don't know. It's been said. But what if, he, what if the job doesn't work? What if you all of a sudden lose your job? What happens then? Where's your RTH? Well, this is who I am. It's like, whoa, okay. This is a real difficult moment in life. So happiness is always this momentary proximate evaluation. But the problem is it's a moving point. But joy emanates from a stable reference point. That's a, it's, it's not an, a different emotion. It's a different reference. It's, it's deeper than that. It's a tethering. It's an idea. It's when you're connected to something. It's when you're standing at a funeral and you've lost a loved one. And it's like, you know, you can't be happy about it. Well, it depends on who it is. But I mean, most of the time you're not happy about it. And you gotta, your soul's gotta connect to something. You know, you can connect to some idea like, well, they'll always be with us. Okay, that's, that's fun. You know, well, they'll live, in, live on in our hearts. And that's nice. Um, you might want to tether to something better than that, than to somebody's else. I would hate to think that my existence is tethered to you thinking about me. But joy emanates from a stable reference point. So the challenge today is, what is your stable reference point? What is the thing that you're sure of, that you hold on to? Um, rejoicing, or I'm going to use this phrase, rejoying is returning to that point. So that when, you know, going through back injuries, going through different stuff in your life, whatever difficulty you're facing is like, 
when I make the intentional, like I'm about to lose control, when the depression is so dark and overwhelming that you feel like you're losing control, it's like, what do I do? What is that one idea? What is that one thought? What is that one belief that you're sure that will be there when you fly home? What is your RTH? What is it? And so through life, when I face difficulties and hardships, I've always had this, you know, not my skill to return to, not my intelligence to return to, not my health to return to. It's not about family. See, right now in Tampa, there are uh, three grandchildren loading up into a car uh, with my daughter and my son-in-law in uh, uh, St. Mary's, just above Jacksonville, there is another grandchild with another daughter with another son-in-law that's coming. And then just eight minutes away, there's another granddaughter and a daughter, and, it's, and they're all going to converge my house at four o'clock. RTH, baby. I mean, it's just, a, they're all like drones. They're just gonna come, and they go, go, you know what the temptation is to say in all that moment when all of a sudden they all fill up the driveway and there they are? There's a temptation to say, you know what? This is what it's all about. But you know, it's not. It's not. Because some of you don't have that. And you still have joy. And there's going to come a point when Papa's house is... Um, uh, I was at a wedding the other day and it was, they had seat assignments and in the seat assignment that had people listed and, and I was looking for my name and then there was one that was Papa, it said Papa. And I'm like, well, that's, where, that's my table right there. And one of the guys said, uh, no, that's a different Papa. I said, you need to find this poser right now. You need to get this guy. And they're like, they're a little like, it's like, dude, he's got like one leg. I said, that's exactly. It should be Pa, not Papa. You know, and so I'm like, I, I am Papa. But you know what? I gotta be, there's gotta be a better return to home thought than I'm Papa. Because one day, all these grandkids are gonna have girlfriends and boyfriends. And some of you were there. Do we gotta go to Papa's house? I don't wanna go to Papa's house. And then one day I'm gonna get this phone call from Dawn or one of the kids are gonna say, Hey, hey, Dad, is there any way we could have Christmas at our house? And I'm going to walk around going, this stupid house. I want to live here. I can't go because it's Christmas, and this is what I do. And, and it's like, what, what's my point? Is that my return to home can, cannot be my family. It, it cannot be my marriage. It's got to be better than that. And Jesus, 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations, Babylon, Israel, Alexander the Great, Rome, Caesar, all these occurrences of humanity, Genghis Khan, all of them. And Jesus is the return to home point. It's the only return to home point that you can count on that will be there when you get lost. When the wise men who were tethered to Jesus through the star found him, they rejoiced. See, their travels were tethered to something better. Rejoice is the response to a 
fixed idea, a promise or a reality, and calling it into the present moment, even if the moment is hard and blank, bleak. That's what rejoice is. It's not just giddy for a couple days. It is making the choice to respond to a fixed idea, a reality, a promise from God. And there have been people throughout the scriptures that knew the power of rejoice, have learned the mechanism of rejoice. Their response was this inner confidence with God. And we've been around people like that, that they just had, even in the hardest of times, that just have this return to home with God. You know, I had a beautiful woman just give me a wonderful uh, uh, bread, and she lost her husband just, just like three weeks ago. And she came up to me and wished me a, a Merry Christmas with an incredibly radiant spirit. There was, there was a little broken heart in there, but there was this confidence, this return to home. I know where my husband is. I know where I'm going. And it was like, wow. It's like, that's amazing. And there have been people throughout the Bible rejoice with their inner confidence. How about David with Goliath? He all of a sudden goes to fight this pretty big dude there and, and, and David responds um, when he's being challenged. You can't fight this big guy. Listen to what he says. He says, the Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. See, for him, God was his return to home. There was Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. It's the story of these three three um, young intellectual Jewish men who were in captivity and because they were, Nebuchadnezzar was in control and because they were told they had to bow and worship the false gods of Babylon, they were told that they were gonna be thrown into a, a furnace of fire. They were gonna be burnt alive if they did not bow. But they answered King Nebuchadnezzar this way and said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. You already know what our return to home is. You know what we're about. Yeah, see, that's a lesson right in itself. This is parents, particularly, this is a really important time. Don't let Christmas become about the tree or the presents. Let them discover what your return to home is about. Stop the madness. You know, put the bottle aside for a second, put the presents aside for a second, and sit down before you even open the presents. Uh, let me just tell you, just sit and read a little bit of Matthew's dialogue about the Christmas story. It's like, why? Because you're pushing that button, return, you're returning your kids to home. You're reminding them, just for this moment, you're reminding them there is a bigger idea connected to this thing, getting the PlayStation 5, or having been good this year. You know, or Santa, or any other idea that's floating out there. And it's really good to do that. But so, so they said to Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer. You already know what our return to home is. But I love this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Wow. But I love this next part even better. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods 
or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love that because they are not tethered to a specific outcome. See, we'll do God as long as it is tethered to a certain outcome, that God heals this person, or God gives me this job, or makes my husband come back, or whatever we're asking of him. And these guys were so connected to the idea of Yahweh, of God in their lives, they didn't even have to tell the Nebuchadnezzar, like, we don't even have to have this conversation. Just crank up the fire and throw us in, and our God can deliver us. But guess what? Even if he doesn't, we're not tethered to success. We're tethered to God. That is strong. Simeon and Anna, and I won't read the story, but they were these two older people that were in the temple that were constantly waiting for the Christ to be born. Anna was like 84 years old and was just living out her life waiting to see the Messiah. Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Christ child. Both of them living out life and you would think, wow, it looks like some old people that just need to die. Why? Because life is all about being tethered to youth or sports or good skin or whatever. And they were like, no, we're not tethered to any of that. We're tethered to seeing the Messiah. And they saw it in their day. So in closing, let me ask you this. What do you... What are you tethered to? What is your response when, you've, when you have gotten lost over your head, lost in a relationship, lost in the ability to plan the future, lost a job, things have gotten dark. When things have gotten dark inside of your own heart, I have been there. I know the darkness of depression. When People say, well, pull yourself up by your bootstrap. It's like, well, but I don't have boots on. And it's like, and the one thought that I remember in the midst of my worst depression was that when I am weak, he is strong, is what the Apostle Paul said. When I am weak, I am strong. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast in my weaknesses so that Christ will be glorified in me. And it's like, okay, that's my one thought. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am pitiful, he is strong. When I'm confused, he is strong. When I have failed grossly, he is strong. Jesus, from Abraham to David to Bethlehem to Charleston to me, I am tethered to something better. Something better than the best version of me. Something better than America. Something better than success or a job or to health. Something that lasts for generations and generations. Father, as we come into this moment, 
speak to everyone speak to each and every one of us in our lives as you challenge us about our return to home what is our RTH and today for some of us it may be the nice house that we live in it may be being called boss or maybe a number that we see on our W2 or W4 whatever that thing's called at the end of the year it may be the person we're married to or the children we have today God you're challenging us to be tethered to something even greater than all those things greater than the American dream, greater than the amazing wife that I'm married to, into that full driveway. Because at the end of the day, the driveway empties and the drone moves. What will I have? What will any of us have that we will know that will be there? You will be there have always been there and in good days and bad we can always rejoy from knowing that you are the greatest reference point in history and in life and today we reconnect to the tether which is Christ our Savior Emmanuel God with us God, our home. Come and receive Christ, your Savior.